0: Good morning, Golden Corner. Good to see you. At Golden Corner Church, we believe everybody's looking for something. Don't you think so? Everybody's looking for something. And we believe that everything they're looking for can be found in Jesus. And the better you know him, the more likely it is that you're going to discover in him exactly what you're looking for. And so, what we're doing on Sunday mornings is we're just trying our dead level best to get to know Jesus and to get to know Him better than we've ever known Him. And we're doing this by just going slowly through the Gospel of Luke, taking one section of Scripture at a time and just reading it together and looking carefully for anything we might discover about Jesus. So we're about to read beginning with verse number 30, chapter 4, verse number 31. And this is what we're looking for. As we read, now, I want you to be engaged in this process. As we read, you see what you can identify that these verses might be revealing to you about Jesus. You ready? Let's begin reading. Verse 31. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching... For he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Now after Jesus was thrown out Of the synagogue at Nazareth. After he was run out of town, you know, after his narrow escape from an assassination attempt, Jesus just left Nazareth and went straight to Capernaum, where he did what he always did when he showed up in town. On the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and he would teach. And so apparently he's been in Capernaum several weeks, and he's been teaching in the synagogue each of those weeks. And the people that heard him speak were absolutely amazed, and in particular at the authority that he spoke with. At this time, the, the typical rabbi was probably just going through the motions. Just simply repeating what he had heard. But boy, Jesus was different. When he spoke, he spoke with passion, and he spoke with conviction. His words were understandable, and they were relevant. And the people stepped back and said, man, he's different. This guy speaks as though he is an authority on the matters of God. Well, one day in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching, and this guy just jumps up and begins to heckle him. You know, So I guess this was another one of those weird synagogue services for Jesus. And can you imagine something like that happening here? I mean, I'm just teaching along and somebody jumps up and just says, you know, go away, old Ronnie of Salem. Now, if that happens here today, uh, they're going to be introduced very quickly to a member of our safety team who's going to show them to the door. Jesus understood what was happening. That it wasn't this man talking, but rather it was a demon speaking from within the man. You ask, Ronnie, what are demons? They are angels. Angels who at one point followed another angel named Lucifer in a revolt against God. And you ask, how did that work out for them? Not very well The revolt failed, and and all those angels, including the angel Lucifer who led them, they were cast out of heaven and down to the earth, hence the phrase, fallen angels. And when all these angels arrived on earth, they, they built a kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. And over this kingdom of fallen angels, there reigns this one angel named Lucifer, whom we would refer to today as Satan. So one of these demons has possessed this man, which means that he has taken up residence in this man's body. He has taken over his faculties so that he can manipulate his behavior, so that this man, through his conduct, was helping perpetuate the cause of the kingdom of darkness, and simultaneously, this man's life was being ruined. And Jesus recognized it's not the man, but the demon talking. Now, the demon was speaking, I believe, out of frustration, first and foremost. Did you notice one of the things he asked? Why are you interfering with us? And Jesus was interfering with the plans of the devil, with the goals of darkness. He was interfering. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what he was doing. He was delivering people who had been taken captive by the devil to do his will. He's setting them free. He is allowing them citizenship in his kingdom, the kingdom of light. And now he's using those, Jesus is using those people to perpetuate the cause of righteousness. So yes, this, this, this devil, this demon was speaking out of frustration at what Jesus was doing. But he's also speaking out of fear. That's why he would say, go away. You say, why would a demon be afraid of Jesus? Well, I think that uh, I think human beings and demons would probably perceive Jesus differently. If I ask you to conjure up your best mental image of Jesus, this is probably what we're going to come up with. We probably see Jesus as this Caucasian, this white dude, pasty white skin, blue eyes, brown hair, kind of cut in a mullet. He always wears white robes, got on Birkenstocks. Perhaps he's got a little lamb thrown across his shoulders and he's skipping through a field of daisies. You know who we're seeing? Man, we're seeing sweet Jesus. Oh, he's so sweet. When a demon perceives Jesus, he doesn't see him that way, he sees him as a fierce warrior. The commander of the armies of God. I think think to a demon, Jesus kind of looks a lot like Rambo. A makeshift poncho, bandana tied around his head, some big survival knife hanging off of his side, knowing that Jesus can give us a fight that we can't possibly win. That's what this demon was afraid of. He knew one day Jesus will destroy us. And he was worried to death that that day was going to be the day Jesus was teaching Look what Jesus did. Verse number 35. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. The word ordered is a key word. I want you to pay attention to that At that, the demon threw the man to the floor. As the crowd watched, then it came out of him without hurting him further, implying that it had been doing him harm. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess!" Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through the entire village in the entire region. So Jesus just cut him off. So this demon had more he intended to say, but Jesus wouldn't let him say it. He cut him off, and then he issued to him an order. The Greek word is translated into the English word order meant to, to issue a command with a warning attached. So I guess in essence, Jesus says, shut up, get out, or else. I think he was saying, or else, I'm going to go ramble on you, dude. So what does this, this demon do? He obeys Jesus. No argument, no negotiations. I mean, immediately, the the demon did exactly what Jesus told him to do, and he fled the man. Now, one last insulting act. He threw him to the ground, but he was unharmed, and the people around there stood back amazed at Jesus' authority and his power. Now, there's a little bit of difference. You say, what's the difference? Authority means clout. Jesus was in the position of superiority, so his command had clout. And this demon recognized, I've got to respect his position. I've got to respect his authority and do as he said. But the, power, the word power means ability, which means this. The demon recognized that this little warning that Jesus tacked on the end, this or else if I don't do something, he has the power and ability to do whatever he wants to to me. People learned something that day, and that is, it's not just the angels of God who are submissive to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ occupies such a powerful, high, lofty position that even the evil spirits do will do what He tells them to do. So, word began to spread all around, and look what happened next. Verse number thirty-eight. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, Simon Peter where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. This was a serious situation. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked, that's a key word, the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. So after church services, Simon Peter must have invited Jesus over to his house for lunch. Uh, Jesus and Peter already knew one another. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus has already called Peter to follow him. And and so they go home for lunch. And guess what, man? There's Peter's mother-in-law, and she's seriously ill. People looked at him and said, uh, Could you do something? Will you help her? So Jesus stepped to her bedside, and the Bible said he rebuked the fever. Now, think about this. The word rebuked was the same Greek word that was translated ordered when Jesus ordered the demon out out of the man. So what Jesus did was step up to her bedside, and he spoke to the fever, to the sickness in this woman's body, and he ordered that it leave her. Well, guess what it did? The sickness obeyed his command. The sickness left her immediately. I'm telling you, immediately this woman was completely healed, jumped up off of the bed and said, Any of you guys hungry, because we are, I'm about to fix lunch for us. So as Jesus spends the day with them. Look what happens next in chapter 4, verse number 40. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. Notice this next phrase no matter what their diseases were. Did you catch that? No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed who? Everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God, because they knew he was the Messiah. He rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Now that evening, when the Sabbath ended at sundown, people began to collect their sick family members, and they took them to Jesus hoping that he would heal them. And the Bible says that through the touch of his hand, Jesus healed everyone. I'm telling you, everyone in town, from a nasty head cold to a serious bout with cancer, you know, from those who had a toothache to those who were blind, it made no difference with the touch of his hand no disease could fight his authority and his power. No sickness. He healed... Have you ever thought... He healed everybody in town. That couldn't have been good news for the medical profession, but I'm telling you, he healed everybody in town. And then there were many others who were like this man at, in the synagogue. They were possessed by devils, and he would command, Out, out, get out. And every time these demons responded to his command, and they left the people alone, shouting, You are the Son of God. Now, see these... I marvel at this. The people in Nazareth, they didn't recognize him. Demons did. I don't know how. I do know this, that prior to their fall, they cohabited heaven with Jesus. But now Jesus is here in a human body. And I believe it was this. I believe they listened to his words as he taught, recognized that's the ideology of Jesus Christ. They witnessed this power being released through this host of miracles and recognized that's got to be the power god it's jesus but jesus wouldn't let him talk you know why because he did not want demons uh, advertising the fact that he was indeed the christ so he stopped him look how our story ends early the next morning jesus went out to an isolated place the crowd searched everywhere for him and when they finally found him they begged him not to leave but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea and Galilee. You know, i got to imagine this. If you heal everybody in a town one touch at a time, that had to take most of an evening, wouldn't you think? You go, through, you go through the crowds, and, and you're, you're, you are casting demons out of everyone who's possessed. and Man, I mean spiritually and physically. There's been a house cleaning in, in the city of Capernaum. Wouldn't you think that would take a substantial amount of time? You know what I believe? I believe he was ministering until, the, until late in the night, possibly the wee hours of the morning. The Bible says, you know what he did? After that long night, he got up early the next day. Mark chapter 1 is a parallel passage to Luke chapter 4. Luke is writing about the same events uh, that he witnessed in chapter number 4 that, that Mark is writing about in chapter number 1. And Mark tells us why Jesus got up so early. Mark says that very early, before the sun came up, while it was still dark, Jesus got up from where he had rested that night, went out and found a solitary place where he prayed. I mean, after that long night, he gets up incredibly early and goes out and takes advantage of, I think creates, and then takes advantage of the opportunity to have an extended, uninterrupted conversation with God, his Father. Sometime after the alarm clock started going off and everybody had their coffee and perhaps a couple of eggs, people began to look for Jesus. They searched for him everywhere. They couldn't find him. Well, at last they found him in his place of prayer. And they made a request of him. They said they begged him to never leave them. Now, what a contrast from last week when the people of Nazareth couldn't get rid of him, you know, uh, quickly enough. These people are begging him to stay. And at first, I think to myself, what a noble request. Jesus, don't ever leave us. Wouldn't it be handy to have him around? Because they knew there will be... More sickness and there's going to be more, you know, satanic activity. What a great thing if we could have Jesus right here in town with us on call at all times. Then I take a close look at the request and I've come to this conclusion. It wasn't a noble request. It was a selfish request. Jesus, don't worry about the others. Jesus, we really would rather not share you with others. If there was any way possible, we'd like to kind of keep you and and what you're doing to our own little community here. Can I make this quick application? Man, that reminds me of the church of my generation. We have Jesus. And Jesus has done great things for us. And that's enough. We're not worried about the rest. Jesus responds and says, I can't do that because I didn't come just for you. I came for all these other people as well. So I've got to go. I've got to leave, and I've got to go preach the good news of the kingdom. I've got to let other people know that they can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus, now I thought about this. Do you notice Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got to go to other towns because there's sick people there. I've got to heal them. He didn't say, I gotta go to other towns because there are possessed people there. I gotta deliver them. Do you notice what he said? I gotta go to other towns because I got this message. I gotta deliver. I have good news for people. For Jesus, the message was far more important than the miracles. And so in time, Jesus did leave to go and teach in all the surrounding towns. Now, here's what we were looking for, guys. Any revelation about Jesus? who he is, what he's like, how he thinks, how he operates. You know, I, I, think that, I think that any story that we're looking at is chocked full of lessons that we can learn about Jesus. I think we learn here that Jesus has authority. Jesus has power. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. Jesus has authority over the physical realm. Jesus has the power to do anything that he wants to do. I think we learn here that Jesus is first and foremost a teacher, preacher. That the big thing for him is his message and what he has to say to us. I think there are all kind of lessons about Jesus that, you know, when I come here on Sundays, guys, I've got enough time to share one revelation about Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. If you're not reading these verses for yourself during the week, you're missing you're missing out on so many things that Jesus is trying to reveal to us about himself. Now, i got time to share one. Th- Here's what I learned. Here's what I discovered about Jesus in this story. Jesus prayed. Now, I know that doesn't sound very profound. But I want you to think about it. According to Luke 4, verse 42, and it's parallel verse, Mark 1, after a night of incredible ministry, Jesus got up before daybreak, went out to an isolated place, and he prayed. As we're going to see in the remainder of the book of Luke, this was not an isolated or rare occurrence. This was something Jesus did often. He often withdrew to lonely places and spent extended time talking with his Father in heaven. Jesus prayed. Why? Now you hang with me, okay? Why would Jesus pray? We've already established the fact that Jesus was God in a human body. Why would God need to pause and pray? As God... What need could Jesus possibly have that he didn't have the resources to meet within himself? As God, what kind of problems could he be facing that he had to turn to somebody else and ask, can you solve my problem? What challenge would he ever face that would cause him to bend his knee and call out to his father and say, "You're going to have to help me with this"? What enemy couldn't he vanquish on the spot in, and, you know, within the power that he possessed himself? I mean, after all, he was God. why would Jesus stop to pray? You say, don't you think his prayers were relational and that was his way of fellowshipping with his father? I think you're exactly right. However, we have some of Jesus' prayers recorded in the Bible and during those prayers, it was not just relational. There were times where Jesus was asking his father for some things and to do some things. You say, well, don't you think those requests were made on behalf of other people and needs that he noticed in their lives? Well, sure they were. But remember this, he was God. What need would someone have that he couldn't meet? Why did Jesus pray? Now, to answer that question, i got to give you just a brief theology lesson. Now you know what that means? Theology uh, in in, in the church equals Ambien. Huh? Three minutes of theology will do more than 10 grams of Ambien has ever done. So I want you to really work hard to listen to what I'm saying. It's an important theology lesson. According to the Bible, God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is one God who exists in three distinct personalities. God is one, yet three. Three, yet one. Now, for those of you who are expecting me to offer some type of complete and clear explanation of that, I can't do it, nor can anybody else that I know of. The Bible teaches this to be the truth, and I've accepted it as the truth, even though I don't completely understand it. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God, and as God, they are all equal. So why would God the Son make request of God the Father if they're co-equal in knowledge and power and authority. When Jesus lived on this earth in a human body, something changed. And the change is described in the New Testament book of, of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. And we're going to read it in just a minute. Remember we answered the question, why would Jesus pray? While on this earth, Jesus gave up certain divine privileges. One of the privileges he forfeited was his divine right to act on his own initiative. i got to be honest with you. I had never thought about that until this week. Jesus gave up his divine right to act on his own initiative. Rather than acting on his own, Jesus chose to voluntarily submit himself to his Father's authority. He made himself a servant of God, a servant of God the Father. In John chapter number 5, Jesus even said, I never do anything on my own. Pop quiz. How often did Jesus do something on his own? Come on, man. You're dozing off on me. How often? Never. Okay, good. A little better. A little shaky. Jesus went on to say everything that I ever do, I do because the Father told me to do it. Everything I ever say, I say because the Father told me to say it. He said, I never do anything on my own initiative. Jesus humbly chose the role of a servant while he was in a human body. During his time on this earth, Jesus' goal was to discover and execute the will of his Father. You remember verses like in John chapter 4 when Jesus said, My sustenance is just doing the will of my Father. In the garden when he was praying just before the crucifixion, and he said, Father, if if at all possible, would you take this cup from me? However, not my will, but your will be done. While on this earth, Jesus' task, his goal, was to discover and execute the will of his Father, this made prayer an absolute necessity for Jesus. As God's servant, Jesus would pray on a regular basis and seek his Father's will. As a slave would meet with his or her master each day to find out what to do, Jesus met with his Father each day to find out what he was to do. Then every day, Jesus would do exactly what the Father wanted him to do so that his life was an expression of obedience to his Father. Why do you think Jesus would do that? Why do you think Jesus would, you know, when he came to this earth, would go, tell you what, let's alter our relationship as the Trinity. While I'm there, while I'm in a human body, Father, I will submit to your authority. I will serve you. I will no longer act on my own, not while I'm there. I will not act on my own initiative. I will let you dictate what I do and how I do it and when I do it and what I say, how I say it, when I say it, to whom I say it. You will be in, you will be the master and I will be the servant. Why would he, why do you think he would do that? Why change that? A couple of weeks ago, Tim taught us that Jesus is our example. He said, be watching. This is going to come back up in other sermons. When Jesus voluntarily placed himself in a master-servant relationship with God the Father, he did so for our sake. He was setting the example for us because that is the nature of our relationship with God. Now listen carefully to me. You say, wait a minute, Ronnie. I thought the nature of our relationship with God was kind of a father-child relationship. That he's our father and we're his children. That's true. But the nature of our relationship is also master-servant. God is our master. And we are his servants. As His servants, we're to submit ourselves to His authority. Stop acting on our own initiative and do what God wants us to do. Our lives are supposed to be an expression of obedience to Him. Why did Jesus pray? Well, He had a practical reason, getting guidance from His Father so He could serve His Father. But He also prayed to set an example for us, illustrating an important step in this master-servant relationship we're in. To serve God, we've got to first of all know what God wants us to do. How he wants us to do it, and when he wants us to do it. To execute the will of the Father, we've got to know the will of the Father. And to know the will of the Father, we've got to seek the will of the Father. And how do we seek his will? We do it in prayer. That's why Jesus prayed. Now, in light of that, what do we do? I think this is pretty self-explanatory. We pray like Jesus prayed. And how did he pray? Jesus prayed intentionally, and Jesus prayed first. Jesus planned to pray. His prayer time wasn't left to chance. There was an intentionality about it. He got up before daybreak and left the house in order to get to a special place so he could talk to his father without any interruption. Jesus prayed on purpose. Jesus didn't just pray on the fly when favorable conditions presented themselves. Jesus made the time to pray. He had a time. And he had a place. To pray like Jesus, we must be intentional about prayer. To pray, I mean, to really be people of prayer, I think there ought to be some, we ought to possess some kind of plan for prayer. And I'm not trying to suck the life out of prayer. I'm trying to inject some life into prayer. We ought to have a plan that includes some set times and special places. And I'm not absolutely sure that we have to do this every day of our lives, but I think it would be good if we did it with some degree of regularity. I I, I guess I pray every day. You know, there are times that uh, I like to sit in my, my big recliner in the living room, and especially if I've got plans, like at first light, I'm going fishing or hiking or hunting. I try to get up and, and, and meet with the Lord in my living room early and sit there in that chair and talk to him. And you know, some other the other times I like to sit on my front porch just as, as daybreak is coming and the birds begin to sing. I like to sit there on my porch. I like to pray. Sometimes I like to just pray when I'm walking in the woods. I tell you what I've been trying to do two or three times a week. Two or three mornings a week, I get up absolutely insanely early. Ridiculous. I leave my house. And I drive to a special place. I come here. I come here long before anybody else is here. And I come early enough that I have an uninterrupted, unhurried time with God before I have to think about anybody else showing up. I like praying in here. When it's still dark, I like to go out there and walk the property and pray. If anybody ever tells you I saw your pastor walking around in the field with a cup of coffee in the morning talking to himself, you know what I'm doing. I can't tell you how meaningful two or three mornings of the week are becoming to me. To pray like Jesus, we're going to have to pray first. Jesus prayed before his day began. Why do you think he would do that? I I think it was practical. I mean, when would a servant approach his master and say, give me my to-do list for the day? I think it makes sense that it would be at the beginning of the day and not the end. I believe that Jesus understood that once his day got rolling, the demands would be so great that if I don't pray first, I'm probably not going to have an opportunity to pray. I'm sure that these early morning prayer times prepared Jesus for whatever he was going to face. I mean, hey, Jesus goes to the synagogue to teach, and what happens? He has a demon-possessed man heckling him from the crowd. Jesus was ready to handle it. He just goes to lunch at Peter's house, and man, there lies Peter's mother, terribly sick, and they turn to him and say, will you do something here? Jesus was ready. I believe these early morning sessions and conversations with His Father prepared Him for anything and everything that He was going to face throughout the course of the day. I really believe that praying early in the day would be a good habit to develop. Can you imagine what a difference it would make if every day we started by bowing our heads and humbly admitting to God, I am Your servant This life is not mine. It is yours. If the first thing we did every day was seek God's guidance, I wonder how many big mistakes we would avoid. I wonder what kind of positive impact we would have upon the people we encountered through the day if we started our day in the presence of God. To pray like Jesus, we must pray intentionally, and we're going to have to pray first. And I tell you what I know. That's never going to happen. Unless there's a significant change that takes place in us. I know that these words that I've spoken have just fluttered all over this room. Some of you dozed, and you can't even recall what I just said. And it's frustrating to stand here and know that what I'm teaching you is the truth. And for most of us, we'll never even stop to contemplate applying that truth. When I preach on this, people, they look at me like you're a a dinosaur. You're a relic. Who does that? We can't do that. Here's what I know. We're never going to pray like Jesus until there's a change in our minds and we start thinking like Jesus. I'm not trying to be ugly. and I just know that to a great extent the church of Jesus Christ is just missing the mark. And we're so normal, and we're not supposed to be normal. We're supposed to be leading supernatural lives, unexplainable lives. How did Jesus think? Oh, I'm going to read you some verses. Philippians chapter two. I mentioned them a minute ago, starting with verse number five. And this very first sentence says, "You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had." You know what he say? You got to think like Jesus thought. Now, how did he think? Look at this. Verse number 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in what? Obedience to God and died a criminal's death. On a cross. You know how Jesus thought? Jesus thought like a servant. and According to the Bible, that's how we're supposed to think. Like servants. Jesus was faithful to pray and seek his Father's will because Jesus was committed to fulfilling his Father's will. I'm going to say something that's going to sound awful hateful. I don't mean it to be. I told you last week, man, sometimes the truth hurts. And it stung me. The further I go, the more convinced I am that one of the primary reasons we don't faithfully seek God's will in the mornings is because we have absolutely no plans of fulfilling His will throughout the day. I'm afraid that our lives have become about what we want, not about what he wants, so why even ask him what he wants? I want to tell you a truth. When we accepted Christ, we forfeited our right to act on our own initiative. We gave that up. Our lives are not ours anymore, we are God's servants. Our purpose is not to do what we want, but to do what He wants. When we start acting, like, thinking like servants, we'll start acting like servants. I tell you what servants do: they consistently, intentionally, humbly go to their master. And inquire, What do you want me to do? When we think like Jesus, we'll pray like Jesus. Let's close. Father. Your son prayed so that he could set an example to us. He set an example of us. I think the big thing he's communicating is we ought to pray. I think that we can learn how to pray. God, I know that you're, if we haven't been, I know what you're wanting. You're wanting us to experience a major change in behavior. You want us to pray like Jesus. But God, before that change in behavior ever comes, there's got to be a bigger change. It's got to be a change in the way we think. We've got to see ourselves differently, Lord. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we need to understand the person that I see is not the boss, God's the boss. Father, help us change our thinking so that we think like Jesus and eventually we pray like Jesus. Thank you for your word. Amen.